Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available in the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to take you back to an interview we did with the partner of Love Ventures, Marcus Love, who operate a EIS fund specialising in prop tech and fintech. It's a broad discussion around the types of companies they're looking at, the opportunities they're seeing for their portfolio, and we get into a discussion of some of the individual companies that they hold within there and what their views are on going forward for selecting UK technology companies privately held for their funds. So just going to pass you over now to the conversation we had last week with Marcus Love of Love Ventures. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Uh, Great to be on it. So the Love Ventures EIS2 fund is is currently raising and we're going to be looking at a close uh, later on this month. So we're going to be discussing... Uh, the fund in general, some of the portfolio companies throughout this podcast. So to get started, Marcus, would you like to give us a background to yourself, the other partners and the fund? Sure. Um, So my background is I spent nearly 10 years in Paris. Um, I worked in consultancy at a company called Capgemini, looking after the financial services vertical. Uh, I then went into a mobile internet startup company, so I had a startup experience and then did various sales roles before coming back to London in 2005. And I spent 14 years in the city working in independent equity research, and latterly at a company called William O'Neill, which specializes in growth stocks. So I was looking out for the next growth stories, trying to get the best companies globally into client portfolios, and trained my mind to look for great stories and mega trends, and really the exciting new companies that were coming through in the market. And during that period, I also built up an angel uh, investment portfolio. So in 2015, I made my first investment into uh, an EIS uh, uh, eligible company. I built that portfolio up to around 20 companies. Um, We backed companies like uh, Revolut very early in 2016 and 2017. And my brother, Adrian, who is a co-founder and partner at Love Ventures, followed me into around 12 of those companies. And the setup at Love Ventures is we're both partners we have a team of advisors who are very experienced to uh, sit in our investment committee. Uh, we have other team members in both analysis and investor relations, etc. So that's that's our background. Thank you. So you mentioned a couple of companies there that you invested in as an angel some years ago. Revolut was one of those. I mean, how does that compare to what you're doing at Love Ventures and the EIS fund now in terms of are you looking at the same t- sorts of opportunities in the same sector or have you decided to go a slightly different way uh, with the portfolio companies that you're looking at? Yes, what we did during our angel investments is we specialised in fintech, prop tech and consumer tech as our three sectors. Um, And what happened is during that syndicate, we had people at that investment portfolio, we created a syndicate and others were following us into those investments. And that was a genesis of Love Ventures. So really what we did with Fund One was deploy the same investment thesis, so into those sectors. And what we do is we, we invest at the large stage, last stage before Series A, that last chapter before Series A. That's where we operate. Um, and if I look through the client portfolio of what we've got into, the investment portfolio uh, in fintech, we're in a number of exciting fintechs in the UK. And 
you know, that really was a follow on from what we've been doing as angel investing. So as angels, we invested in Revolut, as I mentioned, but also companies like Chip. Chip is, uh, is in the process of doing a crowdfund right now. Uh, I believe they've raised 10 million pounds and they actually broke CrowdCube servers last Friday. So um, an impressive uh, crowdfund there. Indeed, indeed. So there's a couple of uh, things that I'd like to pick up on there. I mean, first of all, look at fintech. Of course, that seems to be a theme for yourself in terms of your history of investing. How have you seen that particular theme change uh, over the the past few years? And and how do you see it progressing going forward? Yeah, so um, we're at the forefront of fintech investing here in the UK. So in 2020, there was about three billion pounds invested into fintech. Uh, that's second only to, to the US. Uh, it's a very uh, positive environment for uh, entrepreneurs to create businesses. The FCA uh, is very forward thinking. It has a, a implementation of PSD2, which is forward thinking called open banking. That enables people to have a standardized data set for exchanging information. About 1.6 million people today have used open banking out of a population of 67 million. So we're in the infancy of what we're able to do. Um, And if you've used open banking yourself, you'll know what it looks like. You are in an app which you're using and it clicks to send you through to your bank and you go through to Barclays, HSBC, Starling, etc. You validate uh, that connection and it goes back to the app. And basically what it's doing is taking funds directly from your bank account. And as I said, that standardized data set allows developers to create really interesting applications that kind of sit on top of the existing banking infrastructure and framework. And that enables a lot of creativity. So we're at the forefront of that. Um, Other countries have their own systems and ways of doing things. Um, But if you look at the US of A, for example, they have Four and a half thousand regional banks, uh, you know, a, a system with, you know, 50 states, which is fairly, you know, regional, distributed, etc. We have a system which is more uniform and enables this creativity and means really we're at the forefront of things. And to your question about where we are in fintech, um, if you think of fintech of 1.0 of being, you know, the neo banks, the likes of Revolut, etc., we're now at fin- fintech 2.0. So in the open banking world, for example, we supported a company called Banked. Uh, Banked enables uh, merchants to offer this open banking uh, payout solution at checkout. And merchants like it because uh, it's uh, got a very good security layer. Um, It enables uh, the merchants to have a seamless process. Um, It also creates a lot of transparency and it's lower fees. So crucially for merchants, they're paying lower fees to the 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 card providers so we're going to discuss some of the companies that you've deployed in in the fund but before we do that um prop tech's quite an interesting sector at the moment Uh, here in the uk property is a huge uh, part of the wealth effects uh of, of people but you're obviously operating at the technology um side of things so how does that look like and what sort of processes and services have caught your eyes and, and how do you see that progressing going forward? Yeah, so property is really interesting. It's um, a little bit behind fintech. So in terms of kind of valuations, it's there about one third of where fintech is. Fintech's a little bit more developed. But it's really exciting because prop tech is the largest, uh, sorry, property is the largest asset class in the world. Um, and within property, it's probably been the most disrupted industry in the last 18 months during the COVID pandemic. 
Um, obviously, travel, retail, uh, other sectors have been disrupted as well. But property is probably the most disrupted sector. And disruption spells opportunity. So really what that means is there's been a wealth of uh, new ways of working, a lot of applications that are required to assist workflows, um, changing habits which are uh, now instilled in you know new ways of working. Um, and so that creates a lot of opportunity. And so in the prop tech um, areas we've gone into, uh, it tends to be uh, software-based, tends to be SaaS-type solutions. Um, my brother leads uh, on that sector because his background is in property. He worked at uh, Dorrington, which is a large uh, asset manager, and previously at the Instant Group, which is a fast-growth instant, uh, sorry, flexible workspace uh, solution provider. So he's had that startup experience and is able to identify uh, companies today which display that fast growth and are in that exciting prop tech sector. Um, and to your point about what we're seeing, I mean, it's across the, the, the range of prop tech. So prop tech's a vast uh, sort of sector, if you like. And you see uh, changes in the built environment and companies that are doing sensors. So if you imagine a building which you might be uh, sending security guards around to go and monitor, these days you have sensors that are able to monitor uh, humidity, uh, damp, uh, fire, uh, smoke, all these things. So there's huge amounts of um, you know, um, efficiencies that can come through from more modern and really more creative ways of managing property. So that helps operators, it helps asset managers. Um, large property operators are getting into the space. Uh, you just have to look at Fifth Wall, which is probably the largest prop tech um, investing firm. And they have, you know, people like Knight Frank investing into that because that's how they want to uh, really see what's going on in the sector, but be part of it. So let's now look, Marcus, at some of the companies that you have in the portfolio. Now, of course, we can't go through all of them, and I'm sure all of them uh, excite you in certain ways. But would you be able to pick out just a couple just to give listeners an idea uh, of some of the companies that you, you've got in the portfolio and what they do and, and what was your reasoning behind looking at a deployment in them? Sure. We, uh, I've mentioned uh, Bank earlier, so we'll move on to a couple of other ones. Um, one would be a company called Timeit, that's T-Y-M-I-T. Uh, they are FCA-regulated uh, credit card by installment company. So if you're familiar with Klarna, uh, Klarna obviously the largest fintech company in Europe right now. They offer the ability to pay over three months interest-free. Uh, what Timeit do is they offer that same ability to pay over three months interest-free, but they also offer, offer the ability to pay by credit over one to 36 months in a very transparent manner because they show you up front what it might cost you in terms of fees and in terms of monthly installments. So, for example, if you're buying a washing machine and it's £350, you can pay with three months interest-free, which would be £117, or you can pay over 12 months which would be 30-something pounds plus the interest. And it's very transparent. It gives um, the user the ability to control their finances. Um, because they're FCA regulated, um, as you can imagine, they have all the checks and balances in process to make sure they're doing all their uh, re regulatory requirements and reporting. Um, they have a very low delinquency rate. It's around 1.6%. So they have a very good loan book. Um, and they're enabling people really to control their finances in a, in a very sensible manner. Um, it's quite a topical subject, as you're probably aware. There's, it's got some quite bad press. I think um, merchants like it because it enables the basket size to increase. But on the flip side, it could be pushing people into debt that they can't afford to pay. 
And what time it does give you more control over the finances and enables people to ease the burden over several months and gives them that credit option. Whereas with Klarna, you don't get credit. You're paying over three months. And if you don't pay, your dossier is effectively handed to a debt collection agency. So it's probably less responsible. So that's why we back time it. We, when we met them, they were had a, around 5,000 users. They've been growing very strong, strongly since. Um, their business is doubling in size every three months or so. Um, we went in at that last check before Series A, which is where we like to operate. And they're currently in discussions for their, their series round, with a Series A round, which is their next round of investment and looking for more institutional support. So that's obviously one operating there in the, the fintech space. Would you be able to give listeners an idea of the types of company or, or, or an idea of a company that you've backed in the prop tech uh, sector and what that's doing? Sure. Uh, we'll give an example, which would be Just Move In. So Just Move In uh, helps that pain point of moving house. Um, we've all moved house at some point in our lifetimes. In the UK, there are six million moves per year um, and obviously far more if you look at larger markets like the US. Um, and it's really hard work, as you know, when you're moving house, there's so much to do. So what they're trying to do is uh, alleviate that pain point. Um, and if you imagine you're moving your providers, be they electricity, so energy or gas um, or you know broadband or sky, TV, etc., what they're trying to do is alleviate that process, including removals as well. So they have partnerships with people like Pickfords um, and about 130 partners in total. So they're trying to ease that process where when you move, uh, it's more it's painless. They do this through using APIs, which enables them to connect with all these other providers. They're working with estate agents to help make that move um, easier. So they've signed up companies like Hamptons that help them. Um, again, they operate um, or we operate in that space, which was that last chat before Series A, and they've now moved on to uh, discussions for their Series A round. So, you know, exciting company. Um, interesting for us, they're, they're actually based down in Bournemouth, which is quite nice. I mean, a lot of tech investing happens in London and the southeast, which would probably include Bournemouth or maybe southwest. But um, certainly for us, it's nice to be in outside London, which is which is exciting for us. And they're national, obviously, because six million people are moving a year nationally. So it's very much a, a national company. Marcus, I want to talk a little bit now about your your process. Now, when speaking to people about um, backing private companies and early stage companies, of course, the founders and the people behind the business are uh, the most important factor for most people when they're, they're looking at a company. But you know, apart from the people that are involved in the company, what would you say are the most important factors that you look for in the companies that you look to back? Yeah, so we look for six criteria. The number one uh, one on our list is founder market fit. So you're right, the, the, the people aspect is very important. It's around probably 90% of early stage investing is a lot of it's based on the, the, the people. Um, but by founder market fit, what we mean is the founders have worked in the sector. They're very, very knowledgeable on their sector. They have expertise. Uh, they're often exited founders, meaning they founded a company and exited from that business before. Uh, we often invest in businesses where there are co-founders, where there's more than one person. We like it when there are a couple of people running the show. It's helpful if someone, some of them want a bit of time off and it's quite lonely being a founder. So solo founders will find it possibly a bit harder. Um, we look for companies that have uh, £10,000 a month in revenue. 
Um, the reason for that is we want to see that they are already generating those revenues and they've progressed beyond what we might call a side hustle or a kitchen table project. Uh, we want to see companies which have a large total addressable market. So we want to see the number of customers being obviously in the millions or more. Um, although we invest in companies which are UK based and EIS eligible, uh, obviously, if they can expand beyond the UK into other markets, that's attractive. So that's what we look for in the, the large total addressable market. Being uh, technology investors, we look for companies which have proprietary technology. So they need to have strong IP, a, a strong tech stack, ideally a prominent CTO, a chief technical officer in the organization. Um, and we look for companies that have strong network effects. And what we mean by network effects is if you when when you use an app and it says, hi, Jonathan, welcome back, and it'll kind of pick up where you were, but it'll get better each time you use it with each iteration. That's what we call network effects, because not only is it doing that with you, but with the hundreds of thousands of other users. So as these companies grow and as their apps get better and better and you know have more and more users, they get smarter and they're learning. So that's what we call network effects. Um, large companies like Facebook, Amazon and Google have done it to great effect, but it's very much something that startups look to do as well. Um, if you've got a product that's got 2,000 users and suddenly you grow to 10,000 use, users, obviously your product is going to get better with each uh, iteration. And then finally, we look for companies which have a path to profitability. So not only do they need to be generating revenue, but we need to be able to invest in companies that have that path to profitability and don't just look for endless you know, VC checks in a, a, a loss-making business. And back to the sectors we mentioned earlier, um, if I look across the board, the fintechs probably become profitable in about three years' time, and prop techs probably slightly sooner. And the reason for that is a lot of the fintechs are fairly capital-intensive. They have sometimes 30 to 40 employees, where the prop techs have uh, you know, 10 to 20 employees. So it's just because the fintech market is slightly more mature, um, and we want those companies to be profitable. We're investors uh, for, first and foremost and want to you know, invest in sensible businesses. Fantastic. Thank you. So, Marcus, in your portfolio, you have a couple of companies classified as B Corps. Now, one of the reasons why I'm speaking today is because there's some very strong ESG characteristics of Love Ventures and your portfolio company. So would you be able to give listeners a bit of an idea if they're not familiar with the term B Corp, what a B Corp is? Yeah, so B Corp is an organisation uh, which which is independent, which is um, has a stringent set of criteria to be part of uh, that club and be a, a B Corp company. So two of the Fund One portfolio companies are B Corp companies. Um, that's circa 5,000 and just move in that we mentioned earlier. So if we take circa 5,000 to talk about a new, a new company, um, they were recently uh, rebranded. They used to be called Ticker. Uh, they are an impact investing company and want to give users the ability to invest in um, really investments for the future. And what we mean by that is they enable people to invest in uh, themes, uh, baskets, if you like. So uh, people or planet and environment. And they will then select what individual sort of um, investments they go into. So stocks, which might be water stocks or hydro stocks, etc. Um, so Circa 5000 is a B Corp. So they've been through that process to become a B Corp. Number one, they're in that impact and sustainability space themselves. That is their mantra. That's what they do. And so it made sense for them to become a B Corp to show that this is something they care about. And they want to invest in companies for the future uh, that are not 
destroying the planet and they're doing good for the planet. So uh, that's very much what they're doing. They're forefront of that. Uh, if we look at Just Move In, they did the same thing. They're obviously very proud to be B Corps as well. Um, and um, B Corps, I think, uh, by nature, they have to go through this very stringent process. And they they actually got a slightly bad rap recently because of one company. But, you know, moving on from that, I think that the wider B Corp movement is an important one. Uh, if you look at investors today, uh, the investors who are maybe 35 and below are the ones that are going to be looking to the future and living on a planet which is overpopulated. It already has you know, 7 billion people and rising and resources are limited. So we need to be responsible investors uh, and B Corp's very much part of that movement. And that's also what Circa 5000. So you as a, as a fund are actually... Uh, in the process, I actually believe you, you are now uh, carbon neutral. So what does that look like in terms of you know, managing uh, a portfolio of companies? You know, what have you done to make sure that you yourselves are, ca- are carbon neutral? Yeah, so we, you're absolutely right. We were one of the first uh, VCs to become carbon neutral ourselves. What that involved was looking at all our movements and our energy usage uh, for everyone that works at Love Ventures and then offsetting those carbon emissions for the full year. Now, for for us, it wasn't too onerous because we're a small company. And when we did it in the first year in 2020, uh, obviously, we had numerous lockdowns, so our movements were fairly limited. But as our movements have increased and our travel has increased, um, that might include you know, train journeys, car journeys, or even planed uh, flights. And so, um, we will be looking to offset those emissions going forward. And in fact, we'd probably like to be uh, carbon positive where we're offsetting more than we're actually using. Now, for us, as I said, it's been relatively easy because we're a small company. But what's important is that we um, instill that mantra amongst the companies we invest into. Go so back to Timet that we spoke about earlier. When we met with them during our due diligence process, we said, look, we're carbon neutral and we encourage our investee companies to be the same. And they took this to heart. They met with our partner uh, B Zero Carbon to actually um, put this in place and time it themselves became carbon neutral. So that's the kind of impact that we can have because they have 40, 45 employees. They're larger than Love Ventures. They became carbon neutral. So ally together, them plus us, that's you know one plus one equals two. But do it across the board and I think we can make a difference. And actually going forward with Fund 2, um, again, we're going to encourage our um, investee companies to be carbon neutral but I think it's likely we might even start imposing it in, in the term sheets that we write in, in our investments, i.e., you know, you get a check from us, but we want you to be carbon neutral. And this is not just us doing this, as you're aware, it's it's a global movement. Um, lockdown and, um, you know, COVID has made people reflect, I think, on how we do business and how we move around. Um, if I look at my career and my time in the city, I frequently used to get on a plane to go to places like Geneva to do four or five meetings and, and then come back on the same day. Um, and I think some of these things can be done on online now. So you can do your first meeting online, get to know someone. If they want a further meeting or a follow-up, sure, go and see them and maybe you still will get on that plane. But you might not be doing quite so much travel. And we're seeing that across the boards. So you're seeing that with very large corporates who are absolutely, you know, drastically cutting their travel by 50 to 75 percent in terms of their travel budgets so you are seeing a change um going back to the example of the 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 35s and under it's actually a lot of these younger um uh, people the the next generation who are going to be driving this and it's pushing these ideas forward 
right up to the top to board level and saying that we it's time to do something. Um, and with the COP meetings uh, coming up in in Glasgow, I think it is obviously the UK is going to be a forefront of that, and I think it's very interesting. Um, so we're just trying to do our little bit uh, to help, if you like. Uh, we're only small, but as we grow, that's going to be more and more of an impact. You know, we're going to invest in probably ten more companies from Fund Two, maybe more. If you add that to eight companies from Fund One, that's already eighteen companies. And so if we can Im- impose, if you like, or impress on those companies to be carbon neutral, then we're making a difference. That's quite an interesting point that that you've made there around how businesses are behaving. I mean, for you, Marcus, do you feel that the companies that you're looking at and the companies that you'd like to back, do you you think that they're companies that may be reacting to what uh, consumers and the general population are doing? Or are they companies that are setting out something, a product or a service that really uh, consumers and the population should be using. I mean, is, is it more of a, a push from business or is it a pull from consumer in terms of the businesses that you like to look at? I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, across that fun one portfolio, one, the only one that really has done this as part of their mantra because it is what they're about is circa 5,000. You know, that, that is what they do. And so that's something they, they've done to attract users. The other ones are going concerns as businesses. So obviously, if they become carbon neutral, that's something that they want to do. But what I would say is it's happening on both sides. It's it's both business and user-led. And again, if I look across the portfolio, the average founder age is probably 32 to 35, roughly. So these are the, these are people that um, are kind of coming through the next generation and going to be around the planet for the next 30, 40 years plus. And they care. They, they do care. They want to make a difference. What we really need to do, you know, is beyond that, is impress this on larger companies uh, you know, big S and P five hundred or FTSE one hundred companies. So that's where the real action is. Um, that's where these companies need to be doing things. They need to be doing more, and that's really for for governments globally to be doing and how they uh, impress on them to do that through uh, tax credits or other things, and for business leaders to be leading on the subject. Um, so you see people like Bill Gates talking about this frequently, and others. Um, you know, that's that's where it's got to come from. It's got to come from the top. Um, but yes, across our portfolio, it's it, I think it's consumer and and business led, frankly. Fantastic, thank you. So for, to finish off now, Marcus, for for people that are listening to this and would like to know more uh, about Love Ventures and obviously exploring what you do, I mean, what are the key things that you would say to them in terms of what they should keep an eye on from you in the future in terms of your plans for uh, the business and and also the companies that you're looking at. Yeah, so if I if I take off my Love Ventures hat for a second, let's talk about uh, EIS. Uh, EIS is the Enterprise Investment Scheme. It was created by the government in 1994. It offers a series of tax reliefs to individual investors. So they get 30% income tax relief off their investment. Um, that's not applicable to fees. Any gains are exempt from capital gains tax and inheritance tax. It's capital gains tax deferral. Uh, and so it really, it's a very interesting asset class. And I only discovered it myself in 2015 when I started angel investing. And that was despite working in the city with all my financial background and city background. Um, so it's a very interesting asset class. Uh, Rishi Sunak is a fan of EIS. Uh, One million pounds invested in the first year alone creates four jobs. So it's really something that's very important for the UK uh, economy and the startup system. Uh, and at Love Ventures, what we're doing is we are an EIS fund. 
Uh, fund two right now that we're working on is 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 open. We're raising a fund. Uh, it's going to make, uh, as I said, ten new investments uh, into exciting startups in fintech, proctech, and consumer tech. Um, your listeners can find out more by going to our website, which is loveventures.co.uk. Um, and you know, really, if you're new to EIS, I would invite you to look at uh, HMRC's website or do some reading about. Um, those tax breaks because it is very advantageous and as I said it's something that I discovered and my first check was 500 pounds <laughs> it was in 2015 and you know it's grown from there so there's no shame in getting started um, companies like Crowdcube and Cedars offer the ability to invest as little as 10 pounds into startups so uh, with all the caveats around that and investment as you know you know People can lose all their money. It is a risky asset class, and this is not investment advice. But you know, as an investor myself, I would say that it should really be part of everyone's portfolio. You should have your investments in in pensions and bonds and equities and property. And I think having uh, access to uh, early stage technology in the UK is very very exciting right now. Indeed, indeed. Of course, as you mentioned there, uh, investing in startups is not for, for everybody and we'd encourage people that are looking at it to, to do some research and have a good look at the resources that are made available uh, for investors. So, Marcus, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Thanks, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.